Uh, so now we can shift into our scripture reading. Uh, it is from John 17, 6 through 19. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a series we started about three weeks ago. And we've titled the series, Praying Like Jesus. Uh, and we're, we're currently looking at John 17, which... The reformer, Scottish reformer, referred to it as the Holy of Holies. John Knox says this is Holy of Holies because for the first, for, for these one, this is one of the rare occasions where the curtain is pulled back and we get to hear the conversation between the Son and the Father. Jesus' ministry was marked by prayer, but it's, 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 it's not common for us to be able to see the actual content of Jesus' prayer, and that's what makes John 17 so special. And the tension is heightened because in moments from this prayer, Jesus knows that he will have to leave his disciples behind, and his disciples will have to carry on the mission, on the movement of Jesus forward without him, at least physically. Many have coined this portion of the Gospel of John, starting from chapter 13, to our passage, chapter 17, as the farewell, a final discourse, or farewell discourse, as a sort of a final boot camp, right? Jesus uh, has much to teach his disciples, but he knows time is coming. So it's sort of a boot camp from chapter 13 to 17, all these important lessons, starting from the washing, the feet of his disciples, I call you friends, vine, I, I am the vine, you are the branches, remain in me without Apart from me, you cannot bear much fruit. All these wonderful lessons is part of John chapter 13 to 17. And, and, and we want to really take a couple weeks to look at John 17. Last week, we were in the first five verses of John 17, where Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Not my glory, but your glory. And we talked about this idea of 
there are times where our, our desires may come in conflict with God's glory. And it, it takes faith for us to be able to say, Lord, even if it's not my desire, if this is for your glory, I want to do it. That's the prayer that Jesus is praying because he knows moments from here he's going to be going to the cross to lay down his life. And today we're going to pick up the prayer from verse 6 as it was read by our brother Tanner. And we're going to go all the way to 19. We're going to go fairly quickly because we're going to also celebrate Pentecost Sunday by baptizing some of our congregation members right after uh, this portion. So I want to organize this sermon in two, two large sections. Verses 6 to 10, if you're taking notes, it's Jesus uh, clarifying who he is actually praying for. And verses 11 to 19, it's Jesus' actual requests. He has three requests for the people that he is praying for. So first, who is Jesus praying for here in our passage, verses 6 to 19? Verses 1 to 5 was about Jesus and Father's glory. Verses 6 to 19, Jesus says in starting verse 6, Father, I am praying for those who are already yours from the very beginning. And he says, I have manifested your name to them. And verse 8, I have given them the word and they have obeyed. So it's not very difficult to see that Jesus is praying for who? His disciples. Very clear. It's not very difficult. Um, and here's a wonderful confession. Jesus' father, these men, they were always yours. Before I chose them, before I called Peter and John, these men... To become fishers of men. You've called them. you planned them to be with me. Right? This is Jesus' confession. And verse 8. They have received and have come to know the truth that I came from you. And they believe that you sent me. Right? It's very clear that Jesus is praying for his disciples. Right? But that's not the only group that Jesus is praying for. If you look at verse 20, which we'll cover next week, Jesus also says what? I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So there's another group that Jesus is praying for in this text. He's praying for future believers, which includes you and I. This is an amazing, amazing text that Jesus, 2,000, hundreds of years ago, knew that we would be sitting in this place, knew that we would go on our own faith journey, spiritual journey, and he would be praying for you and I. This is encour encouraging, right? This is encouraging, friends. Perhaps you've come here exhausted from life. Perhaps you've come here sitting in this room with heavy burdens, Perhaps this season has been tough and you've been under attack. Perhaps you feel like you're barely surviving this season of your life. If that's you, I have an encouraging news that, that John 17 tells us that Jesus is praying for you. See, we don't know each other's struggle unless we're in close relationship. Like, I don't know... Half of your struggles, right? Probably most of your struggles. Yet the truth that John 17 teaches is that Jesus knows. Jesus knows what you're thinking about right now. Jesus knows who's stressing you out. Jesus knows what you're worried about, your doubts and your fears. And he is 
He has not only prayed for you 2,000 hundred some years ago, but he's praying for you now. And that's what John is showing us. So he's praying for his disciples and he's praying for us. Now let's dive into the second part of the section. What is Jesus' request, not only for his disciples, but for you and I, future believers? Verses 11 to 13, I have three things that Jesus asks the Father. He says, one, help them to remain as one, as we are one. He's praying for unity among the disciples, among the believers. Two, he prays for protection. He says, protect them from the evil one. And three, he says, set them apart. Sanctify them. Consecrate them. So unity, protection, and consecration. So first, unity. Verse 11. Holy Father, keep these men in your name so that they may be one as we are one. The word to be one in the text, it's worth noting that in the original Greek text, this word be one implies this sense of unity that has already been accomplished. So in this, in this request, he's not asking Jesus to be, for, for the people to become one. He's saying, Father, keep them in your name as one. They're already one through your name. See, often many of us think about, when we, when we think about the word unity, we think about this idea that it takes time for a group of people to be unified. Right? It takes, time for for a group of people to face adversity to experience hard things to be able to become closer to each other to become one every great sports team i don't know if you guys like sports every great sports team or every every great team whether it's at work at at sports team or it takes time and experience to become one you can have the most talented group of athletes but that doesn't mean they could put it together win in the first year Actually, if, if you watch, if you love basketball, we've seen this, like a bunch of these. When I was growing up, people didn't want to play with each other. But now, NBA, the modern day basketball league, NBA, all these wonderful superstars want to play with each other, right? And they, they try to create these super teams with these amazing athletes. But what's, what's interesting is, first year, they can never win. It takes time for them to gel. For people to be able to fall in line, to understand their role, right? So, so we, we think about this idea of unity as it takes time, it takes adversity to become one. But that's not Jesus' request here. If you look at the Greek, he's not asking the Father to help these disciples or help the church to become one as they spend time together. No. His request here is, Father, you have unified them. They're already unified because of you. So the request is, allow them to continually remain as one, as we are one. You see the difference? This means, friends, unity in a Christian community is first and foremost a gift from God. Yes, we are called to live in humility. We're called to live in mutual submission. We are called to live considerate of others as they play and they play, these, the way we live, play a part in keeping us united. But the initial work of unity in Scripture is really the work of Christ. And that's what really Jesus is praying. His life, His death, His resurrection is what makes us one. What allows us to remain as one. 
This is why notice Jesus in our text doesn't pray, make them become one like you and I. It's what? It's the verb, keep them as one. Keep them as one like you and I. In your name. Jesus says, in your holy name, in your name, keep them as one. You see, name in, in this context, in the context Jesus is praying into, in their culture, name was one's character, one's reputation, really their authority and power. So when Jesus prays, keep them in your name, keep them as one in your name, he is praying by the good character of your name, let them remain unified. Here's the second thing we can glean about unity in Christian communities. You see, you and I, we remain united not by our preference of worship, not by our political uh, desires or, or parties, our demographics or interests or even theological disposition. It's by His name. I mean, like being an international church in Korea, people come from all different places with all different background, theological background. Some of you guys grew up in a very conservative Presbyterian church. Others of you guys grew up in a, in a very loud, uh, charismatic church. Some of you guys never raised your hand in singing. Some of you guys only raised hand in singing, right? We come from such a diverse group. But those are not the things that unite us. It's actually Christ. It's His name. And that's what Jesus prays to the Father. He says, Father, keep them unified because of Your name. Listen to Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, in eight, verse 18, as he's speaking to the, to the church in Ephesus. And he says, Through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Through Christ, we both have access in, in one spirit to the Father. Paul is speaking to, if you understood the context of Ephesians, Ephesians 2, Paul is speaking to a very diverse community of believers, probably more diverse than our, our church. Right, Different race, different cultural background, different language, different way of life. Yet Paul says whether you are a rich Greek businessman or a poor Jewish widow, through Christ, you both have access in one spirit to the Father. That's really the reason why you are united. In Ephesians 2, Paul is providing not only for the people in Ephesus, but for us, a, the theological grounding for unity in Christian community. So this means, friends, unity in Christian community is not achieved by a set of values or interests or preferences or life stages or any other commonality that forms other groups, other communities outside of church. In the Christian community, it is only achieved, unity is only achieved by the work of Christ, the character of God. God who so loved the world gave His one and only Son, and that truth is what unites all of us. He sang that, actually. That was wonderful. Another example, Philippians 2. This is a very familiar text to many of us. Philippians 2. Paul's writing to a church in Philippi, and apparently... It was a good church. Paul commands the church, but in the middle of this letter, apparently there were some disagreements between leadership. Right? There was disunity, and it was starting to divide the church. So Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 that you guys got to agree. You, 
two, you three, got to agree in the Lord. And he says in that text, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but humility count others more significant than yourselves. We know this text. But, but, but what, what's the foundation or theological foundation as Paul encourages these disagreeing Christians to agree in the Lord? It is what? It is look to Christ. In that text, it's about Jesus. And he says, look at Christ who though he was in form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what Paul is saying is Christ, because of what he's done, because he became one of us, and he was even willing to die on the cross for us, if that truth does not challenge us or mold us or humble us, nothing else would. So that's really what will unite you and I. In fact, in verse 20, Jesus mentions of that one disciple who got away, Judas. He says, I have kept all of them except for one. Right? To fulfill scripture. He talks about in verse 12 of our passage. For Judas, somewhere along the journey of following Jesus, it was no longer Jesus whom he loved. It was his benefits. It was what he could receive from Jesus. Perhaps it was financial benefits for he was in charge of the money. Perhaps it was a sense of belong, belonging, right? He belonged to a special group. Jesus is popular. Jesus is powerful. And to be included in, in one of the 12, that's a great honor. Yet as soon as those benefits were threatened, as soon as Jesus started talking about going to the cross, about dying for the world, as those benefits were being threatened, he sold Jesus away. Cold-hearted, 30 silver of coin, that's it, done. And when we look at Judas's story, when we look back to that account of Judas, it seems utterly foolish to us. It's like, how can Judas do such a dumb thing? How could he betray Jesus? Yet truth is, you and I, we are more like Judas, Judas than we would like to admit. See, for, for, I've seen people, I've seen many people that come to our church, come to different churches. We love the Christian community that God has planted us into as long as what? It meets our needs. As long as it checks all the boxes. As long as it provides for me what I need. And perhaps maybe if we are really honest, the way we commit to Jesus. Jesus works for me as long as it continues to work. Christianity works for me as long as it continues to provide. But like what we talked about last week, what if God's glory and your desire, they do not match anymore? What will you choose to do? We would like to believe it's about God's glory, not our desire. But truth is, it's much harder. I struggle with it all the time. I'm sure you've, have, you've struggled with that. So friends, we are not brought together by any other thing, not our hobbies, not our preferences, not our choices, but only in Christ. Only in Christ, in the power of His name. That's what Jesus prays for. None of these things 
bring us together. It's Christ. So how does that look practically? Because let's talk about, this is all theory. How does that look practically? Matthew and Jeannie, two weeks ago, did a wonderful job of talking about how do, how do we do life as a community. So if you missed it, I want to encourage you to log on to our channel and listen to it. It's such an encouragement to our community. And, and they said one thing, building God's community is like hiking. It's like this journey that we go on. And remember those two set of shoes that they had on stage. It was what? A pair of heels and a pair of hiking shoes. And, and I, I just remember, yeah, it, it takes hiking shoes to be able to go far. Heels are not going to take us very far. So listen to it. I hope I didn't ruin the sermon. Listen to it. It's a wonderful reminder how we do that. Forgive each other. Be honest. Challenge one another. Don't run away from conflicts. That's the first request. Father, help them to be one as we are one. Second request we find in our text is God's protection. Jesus says, God, protect them. Verses 14 to 15. Jesus says, the world has hated them because they're not of the world. Yet I do not ask that you take them out of the world. You're like, why, Jesus? Take us out of the world. They hate us. Jesus says, no, I'm not asking you, Father, to take them out of the world. But you keep them from the evil one. See, a wonderful yet challenging part of living out our faith is living it out in the world. To, to be able to come in and out of, of, in and out of the world. We're not to be, uh, we're not to be of the world, but we are to live in the world. Not above the world, not away from the world, but we are called to live in the world. But it's hard. It's challenging, right? When, when, when we immigrated to America in 1994, I, I told you a little story of how I grew up in a little country town. We moved to, to Washington, D.C. There are only a few schools with ESL programs, so they sent me to this really rich school in Great Falls or McLean, Virginia, which is even the foreigners are rich over there. and They speak better English than the American kids. Uh, I remember moving there, and it was stressful. I was at like grade five, trying to learn English, trying to understand culture. I didn't know why teachers were nice. I was going from like culture where teachers were, were, were hitting, hitting us. It was like literally like abusive. To a culture where a teacher, like I went, to, I remember going to school first day and teachers like, please, Tom, please sit down. I'm like, what? Please? Please what? <laughs> like, I didn't really understand, right? Cause it was like night and day. But I remember it was just so hard. Like I couldn't speak the language. Definitely I was not cool like the other immigrant kids, other, other like diplomat kids. They had nice clothes. I, I had, I had my sister's clothes. It was, it was just bad. I remember. Um, and so, it was tough, not just on me, my sister, our whole family, right? Language, food, culture. And so every Sunday, right, we look forward to going to church, right? We went to this Korean church in Vienna, Virginia called KCPC. And it was just so good to be able to speak Korean, to eat the donuts, to be able to hang out and listen to 90s K-pop. 90s K-pop was not cool back in the days, but we liked it. And we didn't have to explain ourselves. And, and Monday would come around and it was, it was tough. It was hard. I remember those like first three years. I remember just wanting to be at church, just hanging out with my Korean friends. In a similar way, right, if you, if you grew up in the church, it can be challenging to engage non-Christian context. It's like going to a completely different subculture. 
whether that's spending time with the non-Christian neighbors, they invite you for, for beer, they invite you for a meal, it's uncomfortable, you don't know what to talk about, especially if you grew up in the church. Whether it's your coworker, your coworker wants to go grab dinner after work, they want to drink, they want to hang out, you don't know what to do, or you feel uncomfortable, what they're talking about. Some of us, we love the world. We, we, we're just like the world. You can't, we, can't, we can't tell you apart. You, you, love, you love that. Yet Jesus prayed that we are to be in the world. He has never prayed, take them out of the world. Take them away from the world. Let them live in the suburbs. Let them live far away from the world. No, he says live in the world. Live in the city. Be, be part of it. So this means, friends, we are to learn the culture the language, the way of the world. You, you are to learn how your non-Christian coworkers think and what they care about and what, what is important to them. Your non-Christian neighbor, if they invite you, go grab you know, chicken and beer. Enjoy it. Ask them questions. Talk to them. Don't feel weirded out by talking to non-Christians. Because in the text, it's very clear that Jesus has sent us. He has sent his disciples and he has also sent us. And there is a sobering reminder that we will face opposition. They will be hated because they're not of the world. We may even experience hatred as we enter the world and try to navigate living in the world as Christians. Yet again, the prayer is that we would remain in the world. His prayer is not spare them from all suffering, all challenges, all oppositions. That's often how we pray. But Jesus' prayer is different. He says, in the midst of conflict and opposition, protect your people. I think Psalm 3 is a wonderful example. Psalmist in Psalm 3 says, you are shield in battle. Right? Why, why do you need a shield? You only need shield in battle. You don't need shield when there are, there's no war. Right? It's almost like you're entering the war and God is going to protect you in the opposition, in these challenging situations. You are shield. Right? That's, that's what, that's what we're praying. That's what Jesus is praying. He says, protect them. Verse 15, protection over the evil one. Jesus and other New Testament writers have written much about spiritual warfare that Christians engage in. Right? Throughout, whether it's Peter, whether it's Paul, makes it very clear. There's a whole different dimension and there's whole different things happening beyond what we can see with physical eyes. There's this war that's going on for our souls. And this is what Jesus is praying for us. The evil one protect him from this spiritual battle. This means your most, your most recent argument with your spouse, whether that happened this morning, a week ago, yesterday, Yes, we are sinful and selfish. And we may have said things we shouldn't have or even assume things that wasn't true. I do that. But there's also a real enemy who doesn't want your marriage to flourish. Who, who, who doesn't want you to do well. So he whispers lies and plants seeds of doubt and anger and dissatisfaction. This, is, this happens. What about the way you think of those people, the people that you label as those people? Those people that make your life difficult and hard. 
right? Yes, you and those people may be very different with different values, different background, different ideas about life. And yes, we are also sinful, so we create stories in our own heads that simply aren't true. But there is also the evil one who whispers lies about those people, causing a greater gap and mistrust. You know what's even harder? It's not just being unaware. Sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I'm arguing with somebody and I see the schemes, of the, I see the trap. And I, I hear the Holy Spirit like, Simon, just don't, don't respond. Just don't write this email. Don't text right now. Just wait. But you know what? I can't help myself. I'm, like, I'm writing this email. I'm going to call. You know what? I'm going to call them. Forget text messaging. Because at that moment, I feel justified. At that moment, I feel like I have every right to shout back. It's a trap. Sometimes I see it and I walk into it. You know, it's like, it's one thing not to see. It's nothing to see it and just walk into it. And we do this. So, so when, it, when it comes to spiritual warfare, one of the most profound books that helped me in the area of understanding the spiritual battle is this fictional work by a writer named C.S. Lewis called Screwtape Letters. And, it, and it's really interesting. It's a really interesting take. So C.S. Lewis writes this fictional book about a conversation between two demons. The main character, Screwtape, is like this advanced veteran, distinguished man, human temper. He's, he's like great at tempting humans, tempting humans. So he writes in this, in this book, he writes to his nephew, Wormwood, who is just starting up his, his career as a human temper. And Screwtape gives his insights and ideas on how to get humans to continue to not be awakened to, to the enemy. Who he, the enemy in the book is God, God himself. It's a very interesting take. And one of the quotes that one of the quotes from the book, Screwtape writes to his nephew and he says this about what's important. As we tempt humans, this is really important. He says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle sleep, soft, underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And what, what Screwtape is, is telling his nephew is that, hey, do not be dramatic. Don't let humans see that there is a real battle going on. As long as they can gradually, gradually walk away from the enemy God, that's, that's, that's a good job. Don't try to hit home runs. Don't try to do anything dramatic. Just slowly, little by little. And, and if you think about it, many people, they're, they're in their faith journey, many people th- that I'm in relationship with that no longer go to church and no longer really have an active Christian Christian life relationship with Jesus it's not you some people go through something very dramatic and they walk away from God but a lot of people it's gradual it's like one day they're like oh we'll go we'll, we'll go hang out with you know we'll go on picnic instead of going to church next day oh we'll go to picnic again next day oh we, it's just a gradual thing and, and and so one thing that we need to really see from Jesus prayer is to 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 stay awake that enemy does not want us to flourish. Do not, do not assume this is just bad luck or human nature or something else, but be aware, stay awake. And, and let's pray as Jesus pray for us 
to keep us in the world, but also keep us from the evil one to, for us to be able to stay awakened. All right. So if you fought with your spouse or your friend, you know, you know what to do. All right. Third and final request. And this is the last one. Verse 17. Jesus says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. He says, your word is truth. Sanctify them. In the original Greek text, the word for sanctification is, is hagiazo. This word for sanctification and the word for consecration in verse 19, even though in the English translation, they are translated differently, they're the same word. It's, it's sanctification, sanctification, sanctification. This is what D.A. Carson says. To be sanctified is to, to be set aside for God and His purposes. And here in our passage, Jesus prays that God may sanctify, set apart His people. So really, through our text, when we think about sanctification, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big word. It's, 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 it's a word that, uh, some of us know, some of us don't. Uh, but really what Jesus is, is, is praying here is not this idea of growing more and more like Jesus. It's there. But more importantly, it's this idea of being set apart for an assignment, set apart for diff, for, for a special work. So when we look at the text of Jesus' prayer, the sanctification is not only for personal holiness, as important as that is, the prayer really highlights this idea of being set apart. So verse 18, verse 18, as God has sent Jesus, Jesus says he has prepared these men to be set apart for a special work. And this is why Jesus prayed that for us to be not taken out of the world. You see that, right? This is the reason why Jesus says, do not let them go out of the world. Keep them there. Protect them. Because they have been consecrated. Because they have been set apart. Because they have an assignment. So again, the, the prayer for you and I to be nat- natives, cultural natives, is there. But also the call is to be distinct. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. Not in the world and of the world, but in the world, not of the world. So we, when you and I engage the world around us, whether that's the way we work, the way we study, the way we play, the way we consume, the world should be able to sense that we are like them in some ways, yet we are distinct, which is hard. It's, very, it's really hard. Sometimes I meet someone and, and a simple, short interaction with that person, I can tell Something is different about them. I'm not 100%, but I could tell something is different about them. Right? The way they speak, the way they treat others, the way they see the world. That's the type of set apartness that Jesus is praying for us in our text. But this is, again, not easy. This is hard. For some of us, we are barely hanging on to our faith. More times than not, we feel like we are we are what? We are failing miserably to represent Christ well. For some of us, we feel like some of our non-Christian coworkers seem more Christian than us. They follow rules better, right? They, they're, they're nicer, they're more generous. And, and, and it seems almost impossible. It's like, Pastor Simon, I'm barely surviving as a Christian in my workplace. And now you're telling me I have been consecrated? It's impossible. Yes, you're right. If we are relying on our own holiness, our own sense of consecration, 
we're going to utterly fail. But this is why, verse 19, Jesus prayed what he prayed. And this is where I'll end. I went longer than I should. Verse 19, Jesus says, for their sake, this is Jesus talking about himself, I consecrate myself so that they also may be consecrated in truth. What Jesus is praying here, what Jesus is confessing here, friends, our holiness is not achieved by keeping set of rules. That's what we think when we think about Christianity. Holiness in Christian faith is only achieved by keeping a relationship with the Holy One, Jesus Christ. So our consecration, that means our consecration that Jesus prays for is not dependent on your ability or my ability to live out our lives more righteously. It's, a, it's all about placing our trust and our hope in Jesus and what He's done on that cross. And this is the gospel. Jesus, the one who knew no sin, became sin for you and I. That means He took on every evil, every evil in you, every evil in me, every sin and shame and even death in itself. He took it upon Himself. And it's only through His consecration that we are made holy, that we are made new, that we have been set apart. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, what a powerful prayer that you have not only prayed for your disciples, but for each one of us. Lord, it is our confession that this seems impossible. This seems hard. Keeping our faith, maintaining our relationship with you, that seems, that itself seems impossible. Yet, yet Lord, you, you're calling us to be more and you're calling us to, to, to be daring in the way we approach wherever you're calling us. Whether that's our workplace, whether that's our home, whether that's our school, Wherever you send us, God, you have sent us with a special assignment to represent Christ. So Jesus, I echo your prayer on this Pentecost Sunday. Spirit, come. Spirit, blow on us. Spirit, make us one or keep us as one. Spirit, protect us from the evil one. Spirit, consecrate us once again. by your power, by your name, by your goodness. If anyone is discouraged, if anyone is wary, if anyone is doubtful, if anyone is filled with fear, would you speak loudly today? Would you remind them that you have done the impossible, that you lived a life that we could not live, you died the death that we deserved, only by your sacrifice we are healed we are made new we thank you we thank you Jesus thank you for praying for us continue to pray for us just let me pray amen